0: I had the honor of celebrating my 43rd birthday, uh, 43 years old, yeah, thank you. And as a gift, uh, I received a sprained knee and strained rib cage from a collision at my hockey game on Wednesday night. So if I don't move around uh, a lot and I'm a little ginger on my stepping, you'll understand why. But uh, all that aside, the day uh, I celebrated was great, doing some of my favorite things with my favorite people. In addition, you may not have known this, but Carmel's birthday was last Saturday, Uh, so uh, uh, yeah, yeah, she's much younger than I am, Uh, but so uh, to celebrate on Tuesday during our staff uh, meeting, our admin, Heather, uh, brought us a couple food items to celebrate our birthdays. One was a key lime pie for Carmel. And the other was a veggie tray with candles in it for me, Uh, because uh, many of you know, I've been trying to get healthy in my life, and it was great. I did eat most of it, uh, and I felt very good about that. Uh, The staff then saying happy birthday to Carmel and me, and I I blew out the candles on my veggie veggie tray cake. But before I did, uh, you know, I did the, the ceremonial birthday wish before you blow out the candles, and no, I didn't wish for more money or a new car, or more, less, fewer gray hairs or something like that. No, the wish I actually made included you. It included you, Genesis. And um, now I know you're not supposed to tell uh, what your wish is, otherwise it won't come true. So I'm not going to tell you uh, what it was, at least not yet. If you're good boys and girls, maybe you'll get to hear what my wish is. A little bit later. All right. So keep that in your back pocket. Now, as Joe just mentioned, we have been going through this series in the book of Acts, and this is a story that tells of this group of people who are the very first followers of Jesus start this thing called the church after Jesus' ascension, his his resurrection and ascension. This group of people, very small at the time, gathered together, and they're kind of trying to figure out, what do we do now? Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, the third person of God, will come and fill you, and you'll be empowered to go into all the world and tell them about me. And so they, uh, this group of people, begin to do that. And they were, though, a group of people that you wouldn't expect. They were nobodies. And there were two people in particular, P- Peter and John, who were nobodies when they first met Jesus. We learned last week that they were fishermen, right? They were just, you know, ragtag fishermen who weren't quite cut out for religious study and religious teaching and interpretation. So they'd go back to the family job and family business and, and work the lakes uh, and the seas of the area and fish. And Jesus calls them and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers, of men, And so you fast forward to the book of Acts, and now these two guys, Peter and John, they're part of this revolution that's being sparked in first century Jerusalem. People are placing their faith in the risen Jesus left and right. They're experiencing their lives being changed, and they're joining forces with this very first community, this church that are changing the lives of others. I mean, it's exciting. It's unpredictable. And well... It's controversial, very controversial. Anytime throughout history someone causes change and revolution, you can guarantee there will be backlash. While many people are experiencing the joy of this new life they found in Jesus, what we're going to celebrate today through baptism, others, others in first century Jerusalem are doing whatever they can to end this wave of conversion and revolution. In particular, the leading priests and religious elite are on the prowl to make sure that those who claim Jesus is their leader and forgiver are taken down a notch or three. They're sick and tired of this. It is invading what they have created in first century Jerusalem. And so the movement of the first church through people like Peter and John It's challenging and it's threatening to the power structure that exists in first century Judaism. These priests and these Jewish religious parties like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they have worked hard and diligently to make sure that their priorities are of most importance, and that the masses, the population in Jerusalem of Jews follow their lead. So... As Peter and John and the first church go out into the streets and they start telling people about Jesus and they start performing miracles, they confront Peter and John and they bring them before a council to be questioned. This religious elite isn't having it. Peter and John just performed this amazing miracle and all these people were there to witness it and the religious leaders are furious. And so they bring them in before this council to basically be put on trial for what they're doing. The problem is they aren't really sure what to do with them. I mean, Peter and John, as I mentioned, just miraculously healed a man in front of the temple where hundreds, maybe thousands of people were witnesses. And the text tells us that they were in awe of what Peter and John were doing. They wanted to hear more about Jesus. And so the religious elite bring them before this council to put him on trial, but they're not really sure what to do with them. And so they, they set them there, and then they go into this back room and they decide to discuss what are we going to do now? It's like they're making up their plan as they go. And that's where we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 15. By the way, if you haven't done so already, open up the version app on your phone, go to more events, and then Genesis Church, you can follow along with everything I'm going to read. If you don't have it, download it. Great resource. You're not going to want to be without it. All right? So Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 15. 15, this is what it says. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves, right? They're, they're trying to figure out what do we do with these guys? They say, what should we do with these men? They ask each other. We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them Never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. It's a pretty good plan if you think about it. I mean, if they can get Peter and John to just stop talking about Jesus and saying all these crazy things about Jesus, then everything will go back to normal and they can reestablish the status quo that they have created. Now, keep in mind, they're politicking here, right? They do not want the people that they have control over upset with them. This is their number one goal, to make sure that the people that they see in Jerusalem look at them as superior. This is their reputation that's on the line. So if they can just get Peter and John to shut their mouths, then everything will go back to normal. But Peter and John, they're not having it. Verse 19, but Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Now, notice what Peter and John do here. This is really important. It had to have made those who were at this council furious. When Peter and John said, You, council of religious leaders, You are on the other side of God in this conversation. Peter and John are telling him, we're obeying God, and you're not. It was assumed, listen, it was assumed by the general population in first century Jerusalem that those who were obeying God above and beyond anyone else was the religious elite. That They had told people, do what we do, we're obeying God, you are sinning, so come and follow us and do what we do. It was assumed that this council was closest to God because they were obeying him more closely. Those sitting on this council, they had to have been increasingly offended by what Peter and John are saying. I mean, I can just imagine the growing tension in the room as Peter and John say, listen, you think you're obeying God, but you're not. We're actually obeying God. And then, to top it all off, they don't say, you know what? We won't stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. They don't say that. What do they say? They say, we cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. And that word there, cannot, is a big, big word, big distinction for what Peter and John are saying. If they were to have said, we won't stop telling, it would imply that they could if they wanted to, right? But when they say, I can't stop telling, it implies they couldn't if they wanted to. They couldn't stop telling. Even if they wanted to, they're saying, we can't. This is more of an important distinction than I think we often give it credit for. For Peter and John, their their relationship with Jesus isn't some on and off thing that they can turn on and off. Their relationship with Jesus and the new life they found in him is essential. It's everything. It is everything. Everything. It is at the core of who they are. It is who they are. Trying to tell them to stop talking about Jesus, they can't do it. It's contrary to everything they believe and know. You know, it makes me wonder a little bit where I am with Jesus today. I mean, I, I love and I follow Jesus, but I wonder, am I, am I in the won't stop telling camp or am I in the can't stop telling camp? And what about you? Is it, is, it taking, is it talking about Jesus and the life you found in him optional? Or is it essential? Is it everything to you? I want you to store that question for later. These words that Peter and John they they push the religious leaders to the brink. I mean, they're just you can you could probably imagine just the the look on their face as Peter and John just push up against them. They're ticked off. But what is their number one goal? To maintain their reputation. So, verse twenty one. This is what they do. It says the council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because. They didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 30, 40 years. Hoping crowds will disperse and the status quo will return, the council, they just let them go. They're afraid for their reputation. I mean, what other choice do they have? If they take this thing any further, they're going to have a revolt on their hands. Peter and John are well-loved among the people, but if they just let Peter and John go, well, maybe they'll just keep the favor of the people they have. And so that's what they choose to do. They do nothing. They're afraid of their own reputation getting tarnished, and so they just let him go. Verse 23, it says, As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Now, Peter and John are free. They walk off, they go back to the community, and that's to be expected. Peter and John, they were just, I mean, they were just put on trial before the most powerful entity in the first century, Jerusalem. It was the same council, by the way, that sentenced Jesus to death just a few weeks earlier, right? Peter and John, they they have just escaped death by the skin of their teeth. And so they, they returned back to the thousands of believers in Jerusalem at the time. And it says that they report back to them uh, uh, and, and that there must have been they, they they told them what happened, right? And so you would think that because of their report, there would be this great fear that began to grow among the first believers. After all, they were on the brink of death now, too. They're doing the same thing Peter and John are doing. Seems like a good time then for them to just sort of hunker down before anything that will disrupt those in control, you know, gets out of hand again, right? I mean, the miracle of the healing of the blind man was an amazing moment, and it's why it's great that Peter and John are free from the council of religious leaders, but you got to wonder why, you know, why push things any further right now? I mean, the temperature is pretty hot in first century Jerusalem. I think it's probably wise for the first believers just, you know what, take a step back, take a breath, let the dust settle a little bit. We don't want to cause, you know, we don't want to cause too much problem here. None of us want to get killed. This isn't what they do, though. Look what happens in verse 24. When they heard the report from Peter and John, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle, the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. Verse 27 In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you appointed, but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. This is not the sound of a group of people who are afraid. These are not the words of a group of people who are saying to each other, hey, look, things are getting a little hot here. We maybe need to turn the temperature down a little bit. And so instead of breathing a sigh of relief and deciding to take a break for a few weeks, the first believers in Jesus, they raise their voices together in excitement for what they're hearing from Peter and John. They're pumped up. That's amazing. You almost died, Peter and John. Woo! They even quote Psalm 2 as a way of remembering this moment. And how it was supposed to happen. This is supposed to happen. Those in power will gather against Jesus. They already did with him, so of course they're going to do it to us. What an amazing opportunity for us to go even further. Shouldn't they be in a state of panic? Do they not remember what happened to Jesus? Beaten, tortured, crucified? I mean, they're staring that same future in the face. And yet there's this almost like a celebration of what is happening. I mean, surely they must come to their senses and realize their lives are at stake here, right? Like, give it a couple hours. They'll kind they'll of, oh, you know what? This is a big deal. Maybe we should back off a little bit. Verse 29. They keep going, and oh, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servant's great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. On Thursday, I I was working through this passage. I was sitting in the front room uh, with my wife, and I read that, and I just looked at her, and I said, you know, the first church was bad at apples. <laughs> they were they were you know what I mean? They were They were next level. I mean, I told it's hard for me to get my head around what they're doing and saying here. It is to try and put myself in their shoes is really challenging because it's so contrary to what we often want from Jesus and Christianity. When I I read books, when I hear people talk, when I listen to people talk about Christianity, I don't hear this, that that is not what we, especially, can we be honest, 21st century Americans, we do not want this from Jesus and Christianity. Let's be honest. We don't want trouble. We don't want, pe- we don't want trouble. We want peace, calm. We don't want loss. We want gain. We don't want to be disliked. We want to be liked. And we really don't want to be bold. We just want things to simply come to us. Easy. No controversy. Everybody gets along. No conflict. That's what we want. Can we be honest? That's what we want from Jesus. That's what I want from Jesus. But if that's what we want from Jesus, I think it makes me wonder, could it be that he really isn't all that essential to us at all? If all that we want is less trouble, less conflict, less controversy, more peace, more ease, more calm, more comfort, is Jesus really all essential? That is essential to us. The first church, in the face of this danger, they say, hear their threats and give us greater boldness. That's bad apples. Can't say it. You all get mad at me. Notice they don't say, God, protect us. Keep us safe. We need your help. We're just going to hide here, God, and you take care of it. Please help us, protect us. That is not what they say. I should not have done that. Shouldn't have done that. They say, give us greater boldness, Jesus. Oh, You said this was going to happen, and it's happy. you can clap for that if you want to. Some of you are like, no, I don't want to. That's okay. We're all here in a safe place. There's grace, okay? I'm with you. First Church says, Jesus, hear their threats. And give us greater boldness to preach about you. They just say, bring it. Bring it. Bring it. And not like in a jerky, like, you walk around like a meathead kind of way. <laughs> they do it in a loving, gracious, the world needs to know about Jesus kind of way. So bring it. Bring your threats. Bring your crosses bring your whips. We ain't stopping. You know why? Not because we won't, but because we can't stop telling people about Jesus. Now, you might be wondering, what does Jesus think of all of this? You know, Jesus, maybe he's like, whoa, you guys, like easy, okay? Like you're not equipped for this. Like you guys need to spend a little more time, reading your Bible, maybe talking with Peter and John. You know, we got to figure this out, like backing the truck up a little bit. Maybe that's the way Jesus says. Look at what verse 31 says as they're praying this, and they're celebrating, you know, our lives are at stake, but we don't care. We're going to preach this news. Look at at God's reaction. It says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. I want to be part of something like that, don't you? I want to be part of something that is so courageous, so bold, so unapologetically faithful that the Spirit of God shakes the very foundation of the strip mall. I want to have a moment with you, Genesis Church, where we feel this building shake because of God's just absolute favor on our desire to see his word go out into this world. You know, I am tired of safe Christianity. It's boring. Thank you, Zach. Come on up. Who's with me? I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Look, okay. I've said this. My my wife and I, we went and planted a church in Las Vegas many years ago. You guys don't have anywhere to be, right? Great. So um, planted this church in Las Vegas a number of years ago, and one of our one of our main things that we talked about all the time is we don't want to play church. I don't want to play church. Look, if you want to argue about something in this building and you want to nitpick what we're doing and all these things and whatever, like, seriously, I don't have time for that. But if you want to get down and dirty and you want to talk about how we can be influential in this world and be bold, even in the face of threats, then I'm all ears. I don't want safe Christianity in this place. And I hate to tell you this, but neither do you. It's boring. It is not fulfilling. It is not what Jesus talked about when he came and he said, I am here to give you abundant life. That didn't mean that you're never going to have trouble and you're never going to have conflict and you're never going to have controversy. In fact, what we see is like he's going to throw us right into it and we're going to experience the abundance of the life he has in the face of the threats that come to us. I'm just tired of it, man. It's boring. It makes no difference in the world. Safe Christians doing safe stuff. It's it's stuffed with crap nobody needs. Opinions and politics and privilege. Blech. It's disgusting. I want to be a part of a faith that shakes the very foundation of this building. And I'm sorry. Save Christianity with all your opinions, blah, 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 It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So it gets me thinking, why? Why? LT, you cannot fire me for this, okay? All right. Why would these first Christians celebrate and be excited by the report, Peter and John nearly dying from their faith? Why? What was it about them? that caused them to respond in this way? Why would they pray God would hear the threats placed on them and give them even more boldness to talk about him? What was it about these first Christians that made them, I can't stop talking about Jesus' people? Here's why. Boldness in the backlash comes when we believe Jesus is essential and not optional. He is not something we go and we hang out with on a Sunday morning and then the rest of our lives we don't pay any attention to. These people, this was everything to them. And if Jesus is optional in our lives, well then we can choose to talk about him or not. It's a switch we can turn on and off. But I'm finding as I read this, when he is essential, there is no choice. We become, I can't stop talking about Jesus people. You know, I, just, you know, I always say... You know, people, you're getting through to people when they start to mock you, right? Because like, oh, like your kids, they start to mock you because you say the same things over and over again. Like our friends and family, I feel like they should mock us behind our backs. <laughs> oh, he's talking about Jesus again. Yeah, he's talking about Jesus again. I mean, who are we? When, when was the last time you talked about Jesus when you weren't in the company of others who believed the same as you? And I don't mean in an obnoxious, jerk-like way, like you're wrong and I'm right. That's not what we're talking about. Just get that out of your minds. I mean talking about Jesus, what he has done in your life in a gracious, kind, and loving manner, the kind of manner that draws people to him. Because listen, being bold is not being like a jerk face. That's not what this is about. Being bold is talking about Jesus, in a way that is loving and kind. Being bold and talking about Jesus is not about being right. It's about being loving, sharing with others about the change that you've experienced in your own life. When is the last time you talked about Jesus in the company of people who don't believe like you do? Or maybe even a better question. What is holding you back from becoming a I-can't-stop-talking-about-Jesus person? What's holding you back? Are you fearful of the backlash? Are you scared of what you might lose? Are you nervous you're going to screw it up? Would you rather just see Jesus as your protector than your leader? Does the number in your bank account mean more to you than your faith? And listen, there's a lot of greats in this room, hey. Okay? No matter where you are, we're all after the same thing. And we all have those reasons. But I think it starts with us going, what is holding me back from becoming an I-can't-stop-talking-about-Jesus person? And I'm just telling you right now, if you're afraid, if you're afraid of what you might lose, if you're afraid you're screwed up, you know what? Listen, Jesus rose from the dead. Okay? He isn't going anywhere. He defeated everything that would or could hold us back from becoming an I-can't-stop-talking-about-Jesus person. Nothing can stand against him. The Bible's very clear on that. Even if it takes our lives and our dignity and our reputation and our money, Jesus will have the final word in all of this. Want to know what my birthday wish was? I don't hear enough people wanting to hear it. My wish, these were my exact words as I said them quietly to myself. My wish is that we, Genesis Church, would become I can't stop stop talking about Jesus people. That was my wish. And I don't believe the jargon about it not coming true. Look, that's up to us right, that we would be people that when everything is on the line, that we would be people that would come back to the same prayer those very first Christians prayed. Hear their threats, Jesus, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. I want to be a, I can't stop talking about per, Jesus' person. I, I do. I. Christianity was never intended to be safe. Revolutions never occur because people hunker down and hide out. They occur because people have the the courage to stand up for what they believe and speak truth and love and grace into the world that others' lives might be changed in the same way they've experienced it. Now look, a minute, not after the service, after the sermon, we are going to baptize Six, I don't know, maybe there's more, I don't know, but six people I know of for sure. And these six people, as they go under the water and they come back up out of the water are declaring to themselves and to you, I am becoming and I can't stop talking about Jesus person. Yeah. And that is a changed life, yeah. We say here, we want to be a community of changed lives, changing lives. Well, I'm telling you right now, it looks like this. It looks like this, that in the face of you know, controversy and conflict and trouble and strife and not enough money and not enough people and all of that, that we would say, you know what, Jesus, hear their threats, allow us to be bold in our faith. May we be, I can't stop talking about people, or Jesus' people. So we're going to celebrate that in a second, but I want to pray for you. I want to pray that my wish would come true <laughs> for me, for me. And for you. So let's pray. God, uh, I thank you for the example of the first church. I'm so grateful that in the face of fear and death and controversy, Jesus, that you gave them such strength and boldness. These are young Christians. They have just come to faith. They haven't been going to church their whole lives. They've been going to church for a few weeks. And yet filled with the Spirit, they see that you are everything to them. That apart from you, none of this matters. That this world, yes, we can enjoy it, but in the end, it all comes down to you. I pray that you would become essential to us. That by your grace and power and strength and your Holy Spirit, you would give us the courage, the power the endurance to be, I can't stop talking about you people. That the world would know that there is freedom and hope and joy to be found in you. And Jesus, I pray my wish would come true. That you, whether it be physically or metaphorically, would shake the very foundation of this church. You would call us out to be your people, serving and loving those who are in need giving us the words to speak truth and love to those who need it most. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.